What's up, everybody? Welcome to Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. My name is Daniel Trainer. I am the host of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Appreciate your time. It is a uh, return to form, shall we say, for the Same Team podcast. For the first time in a little while, I actually have uh, a guest getting back to the roots of where this podcast started after taking a couple episodes uh, off to do some interesting new things, shall we say. Uh, we're getting back to it here in the new year and uh, excited about this episode to kick things off. My guest today is Joe Altino. Joe uh, has a very fancy title, and that title is Vice President of Event Operations and Guest Experience at the Prudential Center. The Prudential Center is in New Jersey. The uh, Prudential Center is home to the New Jersey Devils, who play in the National Hockey League. And earlier this month, the Devils and Prudential Center hosted a Pride Night. Now, the reason I was excited to have Joe on the show, uh, and you'll hear me gush to him about this, is the fact that for all intents and purposes, the Pride Night that the Devils threw earlier this month was the most vocal and progressive and noticeable and engaged I have seen a professional sports franchise be when it comes to their Pride Night. This wasn't just something that they did to sell shirts. This wasn't something they did to appease people. It really felt like the entire organization and everybody involved went all in. So Joe was hugely responsible for organizing this and putting the whole thing together. He worked with Outsports. He worked with You Can Play, two places that are near and dear to this podcast. And he worked with the team, the social media departments, everybody at Prudential Center to put this thing on. And I was so impressed just just from the outside by looking at devil social media and then looking at the event itself. You could tell that the people that put it together, Joe, obviously, really cared about this. And so it was a pleasure to get to talk to him about all that goes into it, how stressful it is, how intense it is, just all the background, all the stuff that goes into it. They had panels, they had just really remarkable stuff. And I I, I commend Joe and everybody involved for all the work that they did. And again, you'll hear me say this to Joe, but I think what the Devils did is really uh, sort of a a beacon and, and a shining example of what these Pride Nights can be that hopefully other professional sports teams and organizations and companies and schools and whoever else follow i think a really great model and and you know kudos to everybody involved joe was also a college runner we talk about running a lot we talk about how i could never run joe, joe joe's training for a marathon uh i am decidedly not so i pick his brain about how he's able to do something like that and we get into a bunch of other fun stuff this was a really Really influential, fun conversation. It was nice to talk to Joe sort of in the shadow of this big event that he put on. You can tell how much it meant to him. So it was really nice. Without any further ado, here is my one-on-one same team interview with Joe Altano. I'm so excited that we have you on the show here. I don't. When I say we, I don't know who the we is. I guess the the, the listener, the listener, and myself. We are very excited to have you on uh, on same team, and especially in the in the afterglow of of the recent Pride Night at Prudential Center with the Devils, which I'm very excited to talk to you about. I have a bunch of questions and uh, a lot of things to uh, to compliment you on, but. 
Before we get there, I always like to sort of go back to the beginning with everybody. If we can, at least a little bit here, I would love to hear about who you were as a kid and where you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up in a nice little town right outside of New York City in Westchester County um, and spent my pretty much whole kid life there. Went to school in Washington, D.C. at George Washington University where I was a theater major and a cross-country uh, scholarship athlete. Oh, man. So so two sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. I was um, going to say, I knew I knew about the athlete part. I did not know that you were a theater major, Joe. Now I feel like I have a million more questions for you than I already <laughs> did. Yeah, so I was, uh, I would say, definitely a, a nerdy little kid in high school. Um, if you talk to my coworkers, my friends or boyfriend, I don't think they would remove the nerdy part now, um, <laughs> to definitely leave it on there. Um, but I, yeah, so I, I've, you know, always sort of hovered between the, the sports and, uh, the theater world. What theater means now is I think a little different, um, as sure. it relates to my, my current role. Um, but you know, always, uh, knew I wanted to work in events and I didn't, know exactly how that would manifest itself, but I loved live events, everything from sporting events to concerts to actual uh, theatrical shows, and uh, that continued in college where I would spend the mornings running cross-country and then the afternoons and evenings in the theater working on the various productions that they had, uh, and you know, just continued down that, that road and was, was fortunate enough um, through the internships and everything that I had in college uh, to be introduced to uh, people at Sports Business Journal, who, which is the leading uh, premier magazine for the sports industry, went to a conference that they were hosting, volunteered at it, uh, checked people in, did all that stuff right after I graduated from college. And it was at that conference that I met somebody who had just finished working on building Prudential Center and they passed my resume along to somebody in HR. And a couple months later, I was in Newark working in the guest services department uh, there. And I've been with the arena and the team for about 11 and a half years now. Man, that's crazy. I mean, as somebody, I, I hop, I tend to hop around from job to job. I don't know what that says about me as a person. But um yeah, I mean, to be at some place for so long seems very overwhelming. And, and But also, I mean, it must be so cool. I, I A question I have for you, I mean, when you said that you were into live events and stuff and concerts and sporting events, I'm the, I'm the same way, but I think it's probably in a different way. Like, I love... I love arenas and stadiums. I love going to new arenas and new stadiums for mostly for sporting events, I suppose, for for concerts and stuff, too. But I just love being there as a spectator. Thinking about the logistics and all of that stuff gives me such anxiety. I can't even tell you. But like so when you when you were when you're going to stuff uh, before you started doing it sort of professionally, are you at a sporting event or at a concert sort of looking around like, huh, well, I wonder how that happens and I wonder how that gets done. And oh, that's interesting. Like all that little stuff stresses me out so much. But for you, it was that sort of just like, oh, man, I want to be in that world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had the, the great fortune of attending the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City um, with my family just as, as guests. Uh, and then I went back and worked 
the 2006 games in Torino, Italy, and the 2008 games in Beijing with NBC. And, you know, just over that time, as soon as I walk into an arena or get close to one, I immediately start to think of all the logistical challenges that uh, take place. And Mm -hmm. um, I'll never forget my senior year of college. I went to see uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra down in Washington, D.C., and I sat there the whole time trying to figure out what time they loaded in, how they could get this <laughs> massive show in and out. One, they do, they do two shows a day. Um, we've hosted them, I think, probably eight or nine times now at Prudential Center. So I've seen exactly how it comes in and out. So there are, there are countless, uh, countless times that I've said to myself, you know, 12, 14-year-old Joe would never in a million years have imagined that he was coordinating the logistics for the VMAs right. um, and and handling the, the the event logistics for the arena for shows like that. You know, when I was in college, I was just trying to put on little shows in the theater and decorate our, our dorm room for Christmas parties, um, which, <laughs> you know, and so right. to see um, to see the resources we have now and the budgets we have now compared to a college kid on a mac and cheese diet. Um <laughs> You know, it's it is pretty cool, and I'm I feel incredibly fortunate that I get to do what I love uh, every day, and um, I'm surrounded by amazing people at at the organization, and that definitely is a big reason why I'm still there after so many years. See, I bet you're a really good friend to have because <laughs> I bet if you're going on like a vacation or something, are you just like Mister Itinerary? Does this translate into your personal life? Uh, absolutely not. Really? Um, I no. I think, um, and there are a lot of, of friends, and, and my boyfriend would jump in as well very quickly. Um, that is not <laughs> the case. I think it's partially just because I do it all day. Right. That uh, it stresses me out doing planning events for my family or a friend vacation. Um, so I am, I am not the one. To typically, well, depending on which friend group it is, um, I am not typically the one really driving those conversations. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I think I, I spend so much time at work doing it that outside yeah. of it, I I prefer to let somebody else call the restaurant and find a good restaurant and make the show plans and all that. Wow, just let, just making other people do it when you do it. I mean, that makes sense, right? I, I, yeah. I guess that I guess that's understandable. So when they when they come to when they come to Prudential Center for events, I take care of all of their logistics and their tickets. So there you go. Oh, well, uh, you're a good yeah. you're a good friend to have in that respect. Then yes, we we they so when we're going somewhere else, I ask them to plan. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So sports played a pretty big role in your life growing up and, and through college. I, I'm interested, um, you know, in terms of your sexuality, when did that sort of come into the picture? I know I, I've read your uh, your piece that you wrote for OutSports, which was great. And everybody who's listening to this should go read it. Um, just, you know, search Joe's name and OutSports and it'll come up. It was really well done. And I, I commend you for writing that. But, you know, I, I love to ask you a little bit of your coming out story because it's, it's it's kind of, you know, specific to this podcast. When did your sexuality start coming into play and, and how did that manifest itself in your in your daily life, whether it was personally or, or eventually professionally? Yeah, so I went to a, an all-boys Catholic high school um, in, in uh, the Bronx. And, you know, there were, there were times where 
I had feelings in high school, but just couldn't understand what that meant and didn't really um, know or certainly wouldn't put a label on it um, and ignored it, suppressed it, went to college, had a, had a girlfriend freshman year of college, and then slowly over time just realized that wasn't who I was as a person. Um, and it was, it was a, a process, you know, and I think you can certainly talk about it too, but it's, it's a process that never ends. You know, there's a, sure. talk about this a couple times recently where it's, you're constantly having to come out, making that decision, um, at work of, am I going to come out to this person or, or is this something that not everybody needs to know? But, uh, it started by telling a couple of my friends in my closest friends in college, uh, and then the next big hurdle was my teammates. There were 12, 15 other guys that I was very, very close with training, running with for two, three hours a day. Um, and they didn't know. And I started dating somebody my sophomore year and it became more and more of a challenge to keep it a secret. Um, I would leave my apartment and go change in somebody else's apartment into going out clothes that I didn't want to see my close friends to see me changing into because they might suspect something. Uh, so I would go out to a, a bar and then have to go back and change again before going home Man. and just realize that that wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted to lead. Um, so after cleaning the kitchen a couple too many times without having a reason why, other than I was hiding, um, having a boyfriend coming over for dinner, I slowly started to tell, um, tell my, my friends on the team and every one of them was, was incredibly, incredibly supportive. Um, you know, there was, there was one coach who struggled with it at first. Um, I don't think he had a lot of out friends and didn't quite know how to, how to deal with, with me and, and with this new change to the program. Um, and it was, it was very challenging and, and scary. And, um, I was surrounded by such a great group that it, I pushed through and that coach over time became one of my biggest supporters. Um, and you know, he had my back more so than, than anybody else. So it, it was definitely challenging at times, but slowly over the course of the, the years there came out to all my friends and all of my family. And I've had nothing but incredible support. Uh, and I'm just incredibly grateful for all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It, to transition here a little bit, I mean, you know, you're talking about uh, those conversations within your within your own head about, you know, do I come out to this person? Do I need to come out to this person? What are the pros and cons? Do they deserve to know? It's my business. Who cares? Which, as, as gay people or, or as queer people, we have to uh, think about all the time, you know, and, and, and who deserves to know and, and, and why is it important? I would imagine... With the work that you're doing now in terms of the Pride Night stuff with, with the Devils, uh, those conversations are probably uh, a little bit more difficult to ignore. I mean, how have you gotten to the place where you are now um, after so much time there? Uh, you know, uh, when you start getting really integrated in Pride Night stuff, you know, I, I would, you know, are you starting off? Listen, guys, uh, let me sort of take the lead here. I am a gay man. Uh, if, if, if you were unaware, I mean, it, it must be pretty powerful thing for you to get to a place now where not only are you okay with telling people at work you're really using it as as a tool yeah yeah absolutely so um when 
when I first, the first year or so that I was with the organization, first job out of college, 23 years old, I'm out, but not, there's just so much going through your, through your head. Um, and it was 10 years ago or 11 years ago. So it was, it was a different environment than it is today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I was very quiet about it and, um, a couple people knew the, the first person who I came out to really, she asked me, I mean, she could tell she knew, but I wasn't, it wasn't coming up naturally. So finally she asked me one day, so do you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend? And you know, that was, that was her way of saying, I know. Um, right. And it was, you know, a, a slow process over time. And all of my close coworkers, everybody knew they had met my boyfriend but, you know, what really I, I think has been the, the game changer for me has been the OutSports article. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, at the time when I wrote it, there were probably about 200 or so team members in the organization. And uh, I would say my, maybe maybe half new, maybe 10 or 20 percent like really new and would I would feel comfortable having a conversation talking about my boyfriend like anybody else would. Right. Um but some of the further the departments that I didn't interact with quite as much certainly didn't uh, it would it wouldn't come up. And then I wrote the Outsports article, and it was shared within the organization in our daily news clippings. Um, and that for me was like the real full coming out at work. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I truly say, um, you know, what Sid at Outsports and, and everybody over there, Jim and the whole crew's done, really changed my life. Um, it gave me a lot more confidence to speak openly um, and comfortably about who I am. And I think just having it out there and as something to refer to, um, it, it just made conversations so much easier. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget the day it, w- it was published, um, the response the, from so many of our team members at work and vendors that we use. There was one, one vendor uh, who called me up and as soon as I, I saw the number my heart sank just because it's it was never usually a good phone call <laughs> um and I was in the middle of a, a, a Christmas lunch essentially for our our team and he said hey did you write that article I was like yes not expecting the conversation to go that way <laughs> and he said I just want to let you know if you ever have a single problem with any one of the guys that I send down there to work there, you call me first before anybody else and they will never work there again. Wow. Um, and it was just, and this is not a guy that I talked to about my feelings. Like right. this is, you know, it was just so out of the blue and it, it meant so much to me. Um, and that w- that's been the response since then. And, you know, over time, I think, uh, I think it was that, either that year or within the next year, we did our first pride night. Um, so everybody, knows how important it is to me. And, you know, I, I lean in real with our community investment department who does amazing work, uh, year round. And this, this past year, I really started to try and, um, help lead some of the initiatives just to make it a little easier on everybody, uh, assembling the, the incredible panelists yeah. we had with, with help from community investment and from sit it out sports. Um, so everybody knows how important it is to me. Um, but, but that said, we treat all of our community initiatives and and everything we do, everybody really does give it their all. Um, so, you know, the same way we approach pride night is really how 
how we handle everything that we do within the organization. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, and you are you are more than free to brag here, but as as somebody who is is a huge hockey fan, a huge NHL fan, and and is on social media a lot, um, it it would seem to me that the Pride Night that the Devils just had a few weeks ago uh, was by far the most sort of vocal and prominent and proud, I think, example of a Pride Night that I've seen in the NHL and probably across all of the professional sports leagues. There was the feeling that it mattered. It wasn't just something that the team was doing because they had to and they were mandated by the league. It really felt like there was a powerful message there across all social media platforms and and within the incredible event that that you guys threw i mean is that the case because it feels and you like i said you were you were free to brag here it, it certainly felt to me that the event was was really well intentioned and something that you know should be an example for all the other teams in the league uh, I, I certainly appreciate you categorizing it that way. Uh, I think we we did an absolutely fantastic job this year uh, as we continue to grow the evening. Um, for me, from the very beginning, it's never been an exercise of just changing our logo, checking a couple boxes, and saying yes, we did it. Right. Um, it's it's not a way to sell millions of dollars worth of tickets um like some people uh naysayers might believe it's (laughs) it's it's an opportunity i view it as an opportunity to change people's lives um we do a lot of amazing events throughout the year but there are few and and few of them that i really do feel change the lives of of the people that are in the room hearing our amazing panelists that are in the arena watching the players use pride tape on their sticks and seeing other LGBTQ organizations represented. Um, it's also the truly international reach that we're able to, uh, to have. So this year, at the suggestion of our content team, um, I think one of the things I, I keep trying to say is I'm not in the office beating the drum that we have to do all this stuff year-round. We have an amazing team that's coming up with these ideas and finding ways to be authentic and genuine, and and they're they're coming up with them on their own because they want to and they know this is important. Uh, our incredible content team, uh, Chris Williams and Catherine Bogart, did a mini doc on uh, Eli. It's called "This Is Eli." Yeah, I, I, yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw. Sorry to cut you off, but I saw that. No. I mean, any anybody who watched that, or who, I'm sorry, who hasn't watched that, should absolutely go uh, go do that right now. Pause the podcast and go watch because it's great. But please, yeah, please explain. Yeah, and it's it really set the tone for us. Um, it's about a five minute documentary on Eli, who is a transgender high school goalie. He was on our uh, panel last year as a speaker. And this year, they he came to Pride Night with us, and Chris and Catherine asked to do a feature on him, and I connected them to him. And you know, I not the most of emotional people. I got chills and, and was you know there were there were some tears over that one. Uh, it was it was amazing, and that really just set the tone for what we wanted to do. And we had incredible speakers this year. Again, Outsports helped us assemble the panel. Um, and the recurring theme was visibility. You know, I, in a way, I like to brag and say, uh, talk about the reach because that's what's so important. 
It's trying to connect with those people that are sitting in the arena, watching on TV or, or watching through Twitter far away, who are seeing their heroes in devil's uh, uniforms and jerseys rocking the pride tape and talking about acceptance and thinking, okay, if, if Andy Green and Jack Hughes think it's okay, maybe it's okay for me as well. Um, and, you know, I've been very fortunate to have um, a, a lot of conversations with our fans and people that I've met through through Twitter and everything else. And I know we're, we're having those that impact. Um, and so Pride Night is a reminder of truly how amazing it is. And that's, that's why it's so important for me to, to have that visibility is because of, of seeing how far it goes um, and using the power of the brand and the power of sports to let people connect. And, and there are people that can use hockey as a platform to have difficult conversations with um, sons or daughters who are coming out, parents who are coming out, whoever it might be. The sport allows for these very difficult conversations sometimes to, to be had in, in a way that surrounds hockey. And for us to be able to do that is just, uh, it's an incredible thing. And it's truly the most memorable and, and important night of the year for me. Yeah, well, and, you know, we I talk a lot on this podcast about how sports can be such a vehicle for change. And you, you just surmised it in, in such a beautiful way. I mean, I think these nights... Well, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that these pride nights are just as much for the straight people as they are for the LGBTQ community and their fans. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I think that they can be such an important tool for those fans too. I mean, I've seen it, you know. I I've seen the way that people respond to these pride nights and, and, and the panels and all this stuff and it is such uh it's an influential and inspiring thing to use sports as a way to change people's minds. And I think that that's what, you know, these pride nights can also do. And also as I'm hearing you talk, you know, I, I'm not trying to make you out to be, you know, a huge martyr here, but I think you are just an example of how important it is to have diverse people working for these major companies and organizations, because you bring the passion and the knowledge to stuff like this. And also it's twofold. I think, your coworkers and, and, and the people that you're around all the time are probably more inspired and more affected by all this because they know you. So I, I think that just goes to show how important it is to have LGBTQ people in, in places of prominence in business and in sports and, and everywhere because I think it just impacts change in such a, a more important way when you can look across the desk or look across an office and see somebody uh, who's a little bit different from you and, and helps to change your perspective. So, uh, you know, I congratulate you for, for being that person for, you know, for Prudential Center for the Devils. I think it's hugely important. Uh, yeah, and I think it, having somebody within the organization who can champion any causes is key. Um, and I think a lot of it is just part of it, or a lot of it is just the education. Um, you know, I was talking to other people after the night and, uh, I give my all for whatever event it is. And, you know, if I was going out to and had to plan our, our mental health awareness night, for example, um, I don't have as many, nearly as many contacts in that area. Um, same thing with our Portuguese heritage night. You know, we do that throughout the year and it's a huge success because the person who champions that um, is very well connected with the community. So for other teams, you know, it, it can be daunting, it can be scary, it can be challenging. Uh, but there are a lot of great resources out there. Um, you can play 
project works throughout the year with organizations, and I'm going to put a little plug in. Um, please, please. I, I am uh, I am running the Boston Marathon uh, this coming April, and with with you can play in raising money for that incredible organization. So if anybody feels inclined and would like to help make a difference, you can you can play is an incredible organization that goes out. Um, and helps educate teams on what they can do to uh, better the LGBTQ community. And um, I am uh, I'm raising money for them. But we, we do it, you know, at, at all the events we do throughout the year, we all give a, 100%. But having somebody in whatever event-related area it is who knows, knows the right people and knows how to, um, to work with the community, that's, that's what's, what's key. And I'm really fortunate that the position I have now within the organization allows me to uh, to be working with our incredible community relations investment and all the other departments that make Pride Night a success. Yeah, amen. That's that's great stuff. Uh, congratulations on the marathon. As somebody who um, you know goes to the gym and maybe uses the elliptical for thirty minutes and feels like they're about to die, uh, I don't know how you're going to do that. It's uh, so this will be my third, uh, third marathon. First, first New York, I'm sorry, first Boston. Uh, I've done New York the past two years, and um, it's it's amazing. It's uh, in New York, you feed off the crowds, there's a couple million people cheering you on. You know, in a city where you grow up being told not to talk to strangers, you (laughs) run for 26.2 miles, high fiving people, taking oranges and bananas from random people that are out on the sidewalk handing them out. Um, so it's it's truly this communal experience like really nothing else I've experienced. Um, so to be able to run it for, uh, for you can play with that connection, knowing um, all that they do, you know, that 26.2 journey will definitely be filled with um, the thoughts of everybody who's going to be benefiting from the money that gets raised for the organization. So you've been keeping up with uh, with your running, I would imagine. What I mean, what, what is your what is your running schedule these days? Is now you're a, a hugely successful successful professional manager. How are you making the time to train for a marathon? Uh, it's it's got to be early on in the day. Um, so the first thing I do when I get up is is go for a run, and I'm typically running about five five days a week doing short mileage, four or five miles, and then I'll do one long run a week as well. Um, and that's a little easier on the, trying to push that to the weekends if uh, there's no event. But I think the other thing too is just realizing the, the reason I'm doing it is to enjoy myself and to have fun. And it's not to finish at a certain time or a certain place like it was in college. <laughs> right. So I try not to, as soon as I get too competitive about that, then it becomes a chore and a task and not a stress reliever. So that the goal of, of running for me is for it to relieve stress and not add to it. So if I wake up and I'm extra tired or something's hurting, I'm going to take a day off and listen to my body probably more now than I did in college. Okay. See, that's good advice. That will let me off the hook when I wake up to go to the gym and I'm too tired. I'll say, no, this yeah. is this is self-care by not <laughs> maintenance going. Day. Maintenance yeah, day. Yeah, maintenance day. And then a maintenance day turns into a maintenance week, a maintenance month, and then all of a sudden, why am I paying for a gym membership? But, um <laughs> An uh, 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 important question I have for you. What do you listen to, if anything, when you were running? Are you a headphones guy? Are you listening to music? Are you listening to podcasts? Maybe same team? What, do you li- <laughs> what are you listening to, if anything, when you're running? So uh, one of the first weeks of freshman year high school, uh, the coach 
told us the difference between runners and joggers is that joggers wear headphones and runners don't. Wow. So, um, wow. Despite, despite the fact that I'm an old man now uh, <laughs> and would get crushed by the 14-year-olds in high school, uh, I still that comment still lives with me. So I don't listen to music uh, when I run. That's um, psychotic to me. No, yeah. n- no offense, Joe, but I, I truly th- – that makes no sense to me. Yeah. It's, I can't uh, imagine. What do you do? Are you think? Are, are, like, are you thinking about stuff when you're? I mean, are are you like very just zen about it, or are you like, oh shoot, I have to go to the grocery store? Or like, oh, like what 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 are you doing when you're out there? <laughs> I think it's trying not to focus on work. Um, you know, depending on on what projects are going on and uh, how that's going, it, it, it varies. But I try not to focus on work and just let my mind wander and look sure. around and look at. Take everything I'm in. Take everything in that I'm running past. Uh, easier said than done. Some days, depending on what's going on, um, you know, during during the VMAs, it was definitely the most stressful three weeks of my time at, at Prue Center. And there was one day that I was having such anxiety from a couple things we were dealing with that I was I it Taylor. Was it to, Taylor Swift? It was not. It okay. was not not Taylor Swift. Okay. Um, but my body just was shutting down, um, and I'd never experienced that before. Um, so I, I more than ever needed to go out for the run then, and uh, it's it, it helps. It, it definitely helps in a lot of those times to just start the day fresh. I bet. I bet. Um, I, also, especially living in a cold weather climate, I have even more respect for you uh, than you know. I have no excuse. I live in sunny Los Angeles, and still sometimes I'll find excuses not to leave the apartment in the morning. Um, this, yeah, this is the first time I'm training for a race where I'm training through the winter. Since New York is in November, training for that usually doesn't begin till May, so it's a, a little bit more of a challenge now. But uh, luckily, the the weather's been pretty cooperative, so. Yeah, well, listen, wh- wh- when's the when's Boston? It is April 20th. April 20th, all right. Well, uh, ooh, a little 420 marathon action. That's going to yes. be fun. Ooh. Patriots Day. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, best wishes. I will be following Thank your you. progress. Thank you. I, uh, I wish you luck. Uh, a question that I have for you that I, I don't know that you'll necessarily have a good answer for, but I, I'm curious. I mean, as – as a fan of uh, a professional sports team, of an NHL team, the Detroit Red Wings, that I do not think is doing enough when it comes to Pride Night stuff, if you're a fan of a team or an organization or an arena or whatever it is, and you feel like they are maybe not doing enough, do you have any suggestions for ways to go about that and to uh, attempt to get in contact and to attempt to sort of influence teams and people to be doing more? Because the Devils and Prudential Center are doing so much and, like I said, are sort of a, a beacon and, and, and a guiding light, I think, for so many teams moving forward. If a team isn't quite doing enough, uh, what can we do? So I think um – you know, I'm never going to put myself in the shoes of another organization. Uh, everybody's got different things that do and don't work. Um, and I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't second guess how they're reaching out to the community. You know, there's, there's lots of times where we do things that nobody else sees. Um, and it, it's not always about having it be seen, but just the impact of it. Sure. Um, so that's that's where I always start. And I think, too, it, it's got to grow. The first year that we did Pride Night, 
Um, I didn't know what I was doing. None of us did. We just knew we wanted to do something and uh, we wanted to be impactful, but we didn't know how. So we started uh, by just grabbing everybody who wanted to buy a ticket, doing a little pregame networking reception, which had 20 people awkwardly standing around in a room. Um, <laughs> and it was something. And, and that was the point was we want, we knew we had to start somewhere. Uh, and we did. And then over time we were able to grow it into what it's become now. So, uh, every year we're adding things that none of us thought of three, four years ago. Right. So I think, think giving it time, uh, I think, Working with the organizations that do this year round, like you can play, you know they they have a really good framework for stuff that should be pretty cookie cutter and work in most arenas uh, and for most teams. But you need to know the market. You know you need to be culturally sensitive and, and in tune with who your who your target market is because certain things that work in New Jersey might not work in in Chicago and vice versa. Um, you know I, I think it's almost it, it's. It, in some ways, we, we did a site visit out to Las Vegas to see what the Las Vegas Golden Knights did just for their um, one of their regular season games. And it was eye-opening, and it was amazing, but it works in Vegas because that's Vegas. It, doesn't, it would never work in New Jersey to have yeah. marching bands going down every aisle. Yeah, that, um, I, I went to a game in Vegas last year, and I, yeah, I could not agree more. It is like... It is a spectacle to be seen, and I think it is great, and I think it's wonderful, and the stuff they're doing for hockey is is very interesting and cool, and the people in Vegas love that team and love going to those games, but it's it's a Vegas show. I mean, you're it's essentially you're paying for uh, for a, a concert at a hockey game. Essentially, it's it's a wild experience. Yeah, and so that's you know I think that each market needs to know what what works best for them. Um, you know, if you're at one of those organizations, it's reaching it reaching out to the, the community. And I think that's probably, you know, a little bit easier, maybe in New York, New Jersey area, where there might be a larger LGBTQ community than in some of the areas where there, there are NHL franchises. Sure. Um, and, you know, you need to partner with them so that it doesn't look like you're just going out there to, again, as we said, change the pride color, but to really make a difference. Um, and I think, you know, I've been able to, to, to a degree, put a face to that. And, and the people who come back to Pride Night, the organizations that we partner with, know what our, our goals and what our, what our goals are and, and how it is truly to, to help the community and, and make a difference. Um, and so the buy-in is a lot more there um, because they, they know we're not just trying to sell tickets to them or, or anybody else. Um, and that's very helpful for us where we have this, this relationship that we've built over time. But, uh, you know, again, I, I do think that one of the biggest things is it takes time to, to get it all to happen. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think the stuff that you guys are doing, it will hopefully inspire others and, and you can, you know, you know, this is as well as anybody, but you know, it, progress is happening. And I think sometimes it is a little bit slow, but you look at where these pride nights were at the beginning and you look where they are now, it's, you know, especially in New Jersey and, and elsewhere. And it's, it's exciting to think about where things are going to go. And I, I can only imagine what you guys are going to have planned for next year. No pressure, yeah, that's, no that's pressure. My, that's my biggest fear every year is we get through the end of the event. Um, I, I, I was more stressed for Pride Night than the VMAs, as I told all of my friends and family. I bet. Um, it's, I bet. It's, it's a very, very personal thing for me. And I, we all split up the events as event managers. And I, I don't take any actual responsibilities 
which means that if everything's going well, I just uh, buzz around annoying everybody uh, on <laughs> Pride night, checking in on everything, which they've, yeah. they've come to get used to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that's obviously very near and dear to, to my heart and, and so personal. And um, it definitely adds a, a layer of stress that is not necessarily there on all of the other events that we do. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot at stake every, every year to make sure we execute it well and we have that opportunity to reach the people who need to hear the message. And so that's why we do it. Um, and, uh, it's, it's always rewarding, but that, that night of, as it's calming down in the next day, it's like, okay, what are we doing next year to top, to top this? Well, listen, if all else fails, just go for a run, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You'll figure it out. Well, Joe, thank you so much for, for your time and, and for everything that you're doing. I, I wish you luck with the marathon. I wish you luck for the rest of the devil season. I mean, I, I know it's, it's not going particularly well for the devils this season, but let me tell you, I am a Red Wings fan. So things could be worse. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we had two huge wins this past weekend over I, Washington, um, and Tampa Bay. So hey. we're going to, uh, hopefully keep rolling with that. Listen, I hope so. I think there's a lot to be excited in terms of, of New Jersey, uh, New Jersey devils hockey. So, uh, Absolutely. yeah. So thanks, Joe. This was great. And like I said, I look forward to, uh, to seeing, you know, how you do in Boston, everybody help Joe donate to, you can play. Um, and, uh, and you know, we'll keep your eyes on, on what's going on next year. Thank you so much for the time, Joe. This was really fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, of course, to Joe for his time. Again, uh, congratulations to him and everybody over there for all the stuff that they did. I, I, I just commend everybody involved. And like I was saying up top, I really think it can be an example of how impactful these nights can be. And, and hopefully other people follow suit. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Daniel Trainer, same team, signing off. Bye.